Welcome to our next episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the Five Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Welcome, everyone, to the Performance Matters podcast series. Bob Moser here, one of your co-hosts. You've heard plenty of me over the, over the years of doing this. We're into our 60th plus episode, and I could not be more honored than to be joined by a dear friend who's been at this for quite a while himself. It's been wonderful to admire his journey. I'm going to go through that today. So, uh, Mr. Oliver Kern, it's wonderful to have you here, my friend. Hi, Bob. It's been an, it's an honor to be here. Well, we can't wait to get into it more. So let's do that by you introducing yourself more, friend. So let's describe your journey in getting here, what you've been through professionally, but also at the same time, let's get into what got you or what you pivoted on that had was part of your performance first mindset and journey into the five moments of need and, and performance support as a discipline. So I'm uh, currently a consultant, trainer, and coach based on 25 years of corporate experience um, as a leader, as a marketeer, an innovation manager, change agent, and in eventually also a, a learning leader. But a little known fact is that I also started off before my corporate career as a, a freelancer. And I recently heard in one of your uh, other podcasts, I think it was Brandon Carson or something, that he was starting off looking at the shelf uh, and having an authorware and a, and a director kind of uh, book set there. So I would have been the guy who took the director book set uh, <laughs> in multimedia production, where I actually did some corporate training for different companies on, on director and multimedia production. But in the end, um, I, I went to the corporate world, um, always introducing um, new stuff in terms of how do we leverage internet? How do we leverage uh, new media, CRM, and such technologies? Maybe also, how do I make documentaries? How do I uh, have product pages and, and work in marketing with, with, uh, with a new way of communicating? So that's, that's what I did. So I'm not, a, I'm not a learning person. That's what I might actually add as well. I'm not a learning person from the start, but I came to learning essentially as a marketeer. Mm. It was about 10 years ago, I think, when I met Con uh, in, a, in a project, right? I was tasked, <laughs> by, uh, I was tasked by, by my bosses to come up with a global marketing and sales training. Essentially, they said, uh, do, do a three-day training and roll it out globally to about 4,000 people, and then we, <laughs> we, we do things differently in our company. And then uh, I had a hunch that this is not really what we needed. <laughs> and I had no clue about actually formal training setups. I did a lot of trainings on strategy and, and markets and all that, uh, but more from a business perspective, not from a learning perspective. Yeah. So that's how I kind of came about discovering learning. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and many of the, we've, we've shared this before in the podcast, many of our best practitioners of this, my friend, are not learning folks. We tend to come into it with some baggage. We've talked about that on past podcasts. The performance first mindset shift from one of training is sometimes the dark side of our legacy and the, the pedigree we get out of coming from that side. You came from the business. You understood you know, what they wanted and therefore came to it with a much fresher, much more performance mindset. Now, if I may also ask, are you coming to us from where? 
my friend? I'm from Germany. So I'm, uh, uh, I did this uh, in, in Germany, this, uh, this kind of confrontation with learning, right? Uh, <laughs> but I always worked on global assignments. So I, I've been working all around the globe on this and rolling it out. Um, and uh, my, most of my career, I had uh, the honor to speak English. That's wonderful. And you do it well. So, hey, this wonderful thing called Skill Camp that became this brilliant, deliverable, and my gosh, ecosystem, I'd call it, called Skill Camp. It's been around for quite a long time. The, the journey and evolution of it has been just remarkable to watch, like you said, from your first efforts and the instinct you had to not build three days of training. Can you take us through the business problem Skill Camp will solve? What birthed this thing from the business perspective you were coming from? First, I should say that this is um, in the agricultural space, uh, roughly industry-wise. So the time to market of those active ingredient-based products there is about 10 years, right? So mm -hmm. very scientific, long-term business strategy frame. The why we needed that was a classic understanding that we were a producer over the last 100 years you could say and then suddenly we needed to start thinking about marketing and sales because competition came up more and more there was a lot of market consolidation a classic story if you look at the hype cycle of industries mm. um, and uh, the idea basic idea to summarize that would be 50 percent of success in that market would still be having great products, but the other 50% would be very good at marketing and sales. Mm. So this is a training framework or learning ecosystem, how you called it for marketing and sales. And then marketing and sales in many companies are not the best friends to say like that. So there's always a little bit of friction between marketing. So how do we go to market in terms of strategies and, and plans? And then how do we actually, actually execute that and talk to customers and serve them? So that's always a thing. And then we called those, uh, this, this framework, we called it commercial excellence or marketing and sales mm. excellence. And in the end, what, what it was all about is we summarize it in the end saying we created a common mindset for commercial excellence. Mm. And, and we did that with a common model and one of the best models I came across to kind of frame that learning, which was a little bit down that story or that kind of setting up was the five moments of learning need or the five moments of need framework. So that helped me as a non-learning person to really understand what we needed. And that's where I modeled all the different aspects into that ecosystem because we didn't have to only frame it. We also needed to create the content. So one task was to create that framework. The other was to actually shape the content with a lot of stakeholders and, and subject matter experts to kind of deliver it. And in the end, build different learning modes for people to digest it. Perfect. So I've heard the story before, friend, listen to you and watch it evolve. You know, you, you constantly mention in that journey, this idea about persistently asking, what do you want of the stakeholders of those we serve, not the traditional, what do you need to know SME stuff? You're really talking to the business about what do they really want here? Why is it so important and why the persistence? Do they know what they want? We get this a lot of time from L&D folks who say, well, you know, my line of business doesn't know what it wants. I, I don't know if I've ever bought into that. What I've sometimes wondered is, are we asking the right questions? Because I don't know, I don't know anybody who runs a business that doesn't know, frankly, what their KPIs or they have to do or what keeps them up at night. You know, maybe we're asking, what do you want me to train on? That may be different from what they want. So why was this so important to you in your journey of being persistent with them around this question? 
Well, the right answer is, of course, in this case, also yes and no. <laughs> uh, so, so, of course, they know what they want or at least what the best might be for business. So in that sense, they are probably more knowledgeable about, about all of uh, the needs than learning folks are, right? But then how do they actually shape that into learning? That's where you can answer, maybe they don't know exactly what they want. In our case, they said we wanted a training or they, they tasked me with, uh, okay, we need a three-day training to take all that content and shape it into a three-day training and then roll it out globally. And that's where we actually put in the money. So they were ready to spend money. They knew they needed to do something about it because they had a purpose, the one we talked about, huh? become yeah. a marketer more. But what did they really need, right? So I had, for example, a hunch that they said, that I said, um, if you really want to do that and roll it out globally and it should stick with people, then you would need somehow a, a single point of truth or a single point of data where everybody could tap into. I only imagine that I had a PowerPoint presentation that I showed in the training like that, and then everybody would just copy the latest version of that and then use it from there on while we had already developed it further. And then we would have thousands of those versions and, and, and then we would never have a common mindset for commercial excellence in, in that sense, right? Um, so that's kind of the, the yes and no answer for this question. But there's another one. The second answer would be, if you want to actually roll out something really business relevant into an organization, you need to have a good stakeholder management. Mm. So we did a lot of interviews and you need to bring these people in to understand what they want because what your boss tells you what you should do, like a three-day training, maybe one answer, but then what all the other stakeholders that are pivotal maybe to make the whole endeavor a success are saying and wanting uh, might be quite different. So in the end, we did a lot of interviews and, and maybe I can summarize the outcome in the sense that everybody wanted a common language around this because one, one person might say, okay, customer segmentation, this is what customer segmentation, you ask the next guy, customer segmentation is something uh, completely different. And then everybody also agreed we need training. So doing a training, which we in the end called a foundational training, mm was part of the show. So there was no way around that. As you constantly say, five moments of need is not no training. Right. It is. So one very important aspect of this whole framework we set up was a training, a foundational training. And then when you have a common mindset, a common language, then you can start talking about common processes. When you have common processes, I kept saying and reiterating, when you have common processes, then you can talk about tools you use inside these processes. And when you have all that mindset, language, process, tool, then you can think about, aha, do people behave in a different way? And if they behave in a different way, maybe you can measure a different outcome. And that doesn't have to be all arrived at through the burden of a training. Right. That's where the skill camp tool, I think, became the tie that binds. It was the thing that brought all of that together, including, to your point, the training that we still do do. And I love the foundations side of it because that really gets back to our critical skills and things that are most important and not training on everything. Right. So, my friend, in this mindset change, you're setting some expectations here. Right. With a question and you're you're getting them away from the expectations being a three day training deliverable. So 
it's so important to manage those expectations over and over and over again, because the training mindset is ingrained in most organizations. It is, it's a reflex. And so you're trying to turn that around to get them to a different deliverable. How important was expectation management to the success of this endeavor over time and in general? It's critical. It was absolutely critical. So expectation management, right from the, from the moment when I walked into the office, got the briefing from my boss and he said, okay, uh, this is essentially an important point in, in how we do marketing and sales. We want to do that training. I said, it can't be only that story. We need to actually put that in place, that single point of truth. And we need to put that into the training. We need to teach people where they can get the stuff and use the stuff we teach them in that training. Otherwise they will create their own versions and it will be version hell. <laughs> yeah. Right. When we start that training. That's one aspect why expectation management was important. So expectation management started at the very first meeting when I got the mandate to do this. Mm. That's one of them. And then the other one was expectation management that came when we did what we called a, a pressure test, when we, we kind of invited all the managers to say, okay, this is what we want and this is what we want to roll out globally to kind of buy in. And then came out very clear that this is not a learning initiative, but a change initiative. It's a massive change initiative. And that opened their minds to actually invest in it. Mm. So they said, ah, okay, if that's the case, then we will send in people not for two days training or three days training, but maybe we need five days training because in Asia, you need to train that a little more thoroughly. Or in that country, you, you already know everything, so you do train it uh, a little shorter, but we might actually tap into that single point of truth a little more. So that's the second one. The other one is expectation. So I was thinking... I was thinking, okay, how do I set this up? Do I set this up in a way that is a training with a little bit of support? Or do I want to set it up in a way that it sticks and stays around? And that's what I did. I didn't, I didn't probably tell that enough, but I was, <laughs> I, was, I was aiming in that direction. And it's after 10 years, it's still around. It doesn't even have the name skill camp anymore. I think it's called I iGrow now, right? But mm -hmm. it was set up in a way that it can actually evolve and shape itself. So that's, um, that's something that's also, I think, paying into this expectation management, right? So you want to have something that's around and can grow with the organization learning how to better market and sell their products. And then expectation management has to do with stakeholder management. We said that before, but as I explained earlier, we needed to also create that content. So you have that SME community, right? And that SME community is, of course, also pivotal for success. So you need to, you're in that sandwich position, right? So top management and, and also the, the students or the, the people who are in the training, they want the bare essentials, right? You, you always phrase it into two clicks, 10 seconds. So just the... Yeah the bare essential information. And the SMEs want to give you 50 page white papers and, <laughs> and, and research backgrounds and all that. So you need to kind of explain this whole concept to the people who are the real experts in an organization, the more in a science-driven organization. Mm. Yeah. And then we had also ambassadors. If you're talking community, we had the subject matter expert community and we had the ambassador community who are the people who help. We shaped those in a way that we said, okay, who are the people who like to help others learn hmm. in the organization, no matter where they are hierarchy-wise? 
that's what we call the ambassador community. And we kind of shaped and built that and taught them what to expect from how we further evolve this learning ecosystem. Now we had the foundational training, but later on we had focus areas. We had um, role-based content. We had extended search. We had different languages, auto translation, all these kind of things were actually evolving and you need to tell people that you can't just roll it out there, put there and expect people to use it. You really need to manage how it reaches out to people to build that ecosystem in a sustainable way. Well, and clearly it was, my friend. Like you said, not only has it been around for 10 years or so, the brand changed, uh, which shows that it outlived even its original intent. But because of the way you were intentional in setting that up, the brand evolved as it should. Tool evolves as it should, technology evolves as it should, but the principles you ingrained there and this mindset shifts has stood the test of time. So describe outcomes, friends. What's, uh, looking back, what has been the outcome of this for the organization you were supporting? Well, as I said, we shaped the content and we needed to find a way to kind of bring, I don't know how many slides, these were about five, six, <laughs> 7,000 slides, right? Oh. Uh, we had the help of a few large consultancies kind of who said, okay, these are the competencies and the skills you need to be successful in the market. And that's what we kind of shaped. And in the end, um, we said, okay, how can we visualize that? And then uh, time was up to kind of start the whole, the whole endeavor. And we looked at our watches and I said, okay, we can use the watch. We take a 12-step go-to-market approach as a basic model. So uh, 12, 12 hours in the day, 12 steps go to market. That seemed a good model to start with. It's, it's been changed in the meantime. But that was a good context that everybody could grab throughout the world. And then we learned from, from Con that we need a process context model, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we used. So in the end, it was not only a simpler way to digest tons and tons of competencies to go to market. It was also a real click map right? Mm. that you put on the front page or the homepage of that EPSS or digital coach, as you call it nowadays. And you could click on one step and then you could go into the different tasks that you would need to do actually to be successful in doing that step and then drill down in whatever resources you needed to be successful. And that's what we taught also in that foundational training, by the way. So in the end, we spend the first couple of hours in every foundational training to just help people understand that digital coach, which we mm. called um, just skill camp in those days, right? Brilliant. And, 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 this, and this was by no means per perfect, by the way, just a little practitioner secret there. In the beginning, we had only the bare essential information in there. And also the technical system was not set up as stable. We didn't have the cloud services in the back of that in those days. It was, it was all Amazing. kind of... Uh, rudimentary so in the end we said we have to build this plane while we fly mm. which we did so that was that and then we had this global rollout we had really in three four years we had trained physically more than um, more than four and a half thousand people i think in the end wow and since then it was evolving as, as as we said earlier if you ask about outcomes we had in the end then role-based elements in there we had a training on um, how seeds are produced and marketed. We had a project on uh, on life cycle management in the training framework that was in there. We had different focus areas um, also to help with events and structures. So it was actually evolving into, a, you'd say, a blended learning framework or learning ecosystem that used different learning modalities. We were, we were experimenting with a lot of things like 
how to ask the right questions, uh, how to, how do we, can we do tests in there? Can we ask small questions? Can we use a chatbot? I'm not sure how these evolved over time, but we tried a lot of things and built kind of a learning ecosystem around it. And like you say, it has stood the test of time and wrapping that process around a lot of content <laughs> made it such that it was that single point of truth. So looking back, what are some key success factors you can share with others? Because we, we say this all the time in this podcast, many who come to here are very early in their journey. They're getting their arms around where to start. You know, what are some lessons learned? And so looking at and, and having the, the opportunity to have someone like you on a podcast like this, who has that tenure, literally in this experience, what would be some key things they should keep in mind that you look back that made things work successfully? Uh, some of that I mentioned before, but I think the, 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 the single one that stands out is that context is king. Mm. Context is king. And, and, and for me, I needed to contextualize how to set up this task to bring the knowledge and the content for a new way to go to market to a lot of people from a lot of different cultures. And the five moments of learning framework is for me a framework that gave that context. Where do people learn? We needed to teach people how to cooperate. We had marketing and salespeople in the room together. And there was a lot of happy discussion, you would say, in, in, the, in the room there mm -hmm. that we needed to facilitate, right? But we, we taught them that, look, a lot of the stuff we teach you guys, you already know and do somehow. But some of this is new. So we have a lot of new, the whole approach is new that you need to learn. And then you need to learn more of that. But a lot of other things you need to let go and change, mm -hmm. right? But in the end, you need to start and apply that. So you'll, you'll see in all this description, all the five moments of learning need really being used in the foundational training only. And then also it was used for setting up the technical backend system. It was used for setting up and briefing the SME community for the, for the stakeholders and also for the ambassadors. So in the end, you need a theory, you would say, or a, a model where you can easily explain why you do stuff the way you do. And if you can then say, ah, okay, but there is a, a professor, uh, Dr. Conrad Gottfriedson, who's very experienced, does that for 40 years, and we can bring him in to explain that, which we did, by the way, for a couple of times, <laughs> then that's extremely helpful. Because if you are internally telling people, it's much less impactful than when somebody who's an expert in the field and has done that in many industries tells the same story. But that's kind of the most important one. So you ask for success factors. You can only do that if you have the people who are experts about the content in the boat. Mm. So somebody said you have to have the right people on the bus, right? You need to get your SMEs yep. on the bus, yep. right? And, and you are in that stakeholder sandwich when you do that, right? So you, you, you want to reduce the content and the SMEs want to actually tell their story and tell what they know about. So they, yeah, are, yeah. they are usually highly motivated to help. So you need to explain that and you can use that model again of two clicks and 10 seconds. That was, that was a phrase we used a lot, for example. The other thing that is a success factor is your mind, your own mindset, your yeah. own mindset of looking at your learning ecosystem. Because what I did, and I did a lot of uh, for websites and stuff, we did a lot of user experience testing. Mm. I was trying to look at this from the learner perspective, from the person who's going to sit in the training or in front of this EPSS or, or digital coach and try and make sense of it. And typically, from what I learned later, 
what happens a lot in, in learning or in the learning space in corporates is that they look at it from the corporate perspective. So how do I organize all the trainings? How do I access all the trainings? How do I do the participant management of these trainings? How do I get locations or invitations right? So these kind of things are fundamentally different from each other, but you need to look at both sides of it if you talk about a learning system, learning ecosystem. So looking at it from the company perspective and looking at it from the learner perspective are both critically important for the success of your plan to establish learning in your company, wherever you are. And don't forget the single point of truth, obviously, right? Have one single point where you put your content and maintain it and work hard to switch off all the others. <laughs> in the end, for example, I can give a nice example is that we had the idea not to present PowerPoint in the foundational training in the beginning. We had that after the first or second foundational training because it was hell to produce these PowerPoints and have those printed in different countries by different people in different setups, in different languages. It was crazy, right? But it took us three years almost before we had the last foundational trainings ran without PowerPoint. Mm. We still had PowerPoint sneaking in here and there, but it was more for exercises or sure. tasks, right? Mm -hmm. But the content was in the end, after we had gone through like two-thirds of all the trainings, we managed to pull out PowerPoint mm -hmm. out of the training. And it made it much more fun, much more active, much more in the process and much more, we had much more time for practice, mm. right? And then another one would be, I mean, I have two more, right? So one is, one is maybe the, the stakeholder management. As, as you asked in the first question, right? Why, didn't they know what they want? Yes or no. But it is important to really think about who is important for the success of whatever you want to do in establishing learning in the company or in your organization. And then talk to them, understand what they expect from this and how you can make them happy. And if you can't make them happy, at least keep them informed. Sure. In the end, one of the biggest presents I got was from the CEO in those days. I walked into her room. I said, proudly, this is the EPSS. This is how we're going to set it up. We have that single point of truth. We have that five moments of need framework behind all that. We have the 12 steps. We do a common mindset. All of this we said. And then she said, okay, but do you have the buy-in of everybody? So I was like, uh, I, I was assuming I talk to everybody. I talk to you. You're the CEO of the company. I talk to my bosses. I have everybody on board. And she said, I don't believe you. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. She said, my experience with this is that you need to have them sign almost with your blood to really do that because they are overseeing the business in a country. And they are operationally driven. So if you really want them to drive this in different country organization, this is a commercial training, then you need to invite them. I'll back that up. In a room, you need to present this to them. And they can maybe still make changes. But in the end, they will need to sign it off. Yeah. So put them all in a room and have the key stakeholders sign off on what you're going to do so that you have a common way forward. And we call this pressure testing. Hmm. So pressure testing is one of the most valuable tips I think we can share in this podcast. Pressure test with your key stakeholders and have them sign off on the way forward. Excellent.
So key three takeaways for you now that you look back. The most important one is that whatever your, your learning is about, make sure it's business relevant. Because mm. why else should people look at it? Yeah. <laughs> so make it business relevant. And the second one is, and that's not just because I'm on your blog for performance support, is that <laughs> make it workflow accessible and intuitive. It should be really usable in the work, during the work, or at least accessible while you're working. And the third one I already kind of uh, massaged in a lot is like the stakeholder involvement. Stakeholder involvement is not only important at the beginning when you do your talks to what people want. It's not only important when you really want to want to really kick it off and have your pressure testing. It is afterwards still important. So always make sure that the people who are affected by the training give you feedback, that you're involving them. Because everything is changing faster and faster now, right? I don't know. We might have flying taxis soon. So, so things change. And that's why you need to keep your stakeholders involved and maybe even new stakeholders involved. So do your stakeholder management and involvement all the way through your learning journey. So, friend, let's put a bow around this. One of my favorite questions to ask those that have been on the journey a bit. If you can go back to your younger self, you've talked about the outcomes, you've talked about key successes and so on. But if you go back to your younger self before you even started and give yourself advice that would help the younger Oliver <laughs> about to begin this thing 10 years ago. Maybe it's two, it's two elements there. So one would be ask yourself if, if what's in front of you is actually a learning initiative only, or is it actually a change initiative and requires mm. also change management or even organizational development, right? So that's kind of a question that I was not aware of at the beginning when I kind of ventured into that. I had these hunches. Mm. That's what I could maybe talk to my younger self a little bit about. And the other one is um, understanding learning with the context of the five moments of need, right? This is where Con helped us so much, right? And But we did bring him in when we already had a lot of content shaped. So we had these slides already and we kind of had them arranged around our 12 steps, the 12 steps we had before that. And we were very proud of them. And then he said, okay, but what's critical? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we really had difficulties with this. We needed to go back from where we already were and redo a lot of content, which was thousands and thousands of euros uh, we needed to invest to kind of redo all that content yeah. and talk again to all those experts. So that's where I would go back and say, look, Oliver, think about how you can really reduce the content in the right way so that it's digestible and usable for the learners. Brilliant. Well, friend, you've been a wonderful role model to watch you go through this whole thing. You've been a wonderful ambassador to Five Moments uh, in your journey, both with that organization and now that you're out in the world doing this whole thing. And we will hear a lot more from you, my friend, in the coming months as you continue on this journey with us. We can't thank you enough for being here. Thanks for all you've shared with our audience. Thanks. It's been an honor. Thank you, Bob. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.